You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, yes, you will. Because the system's broken. That's why. It is not right. I'm not scared, but I'm here to fix it. Yep. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you once again. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on Sputnik Radio, on KPFK.org, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, and many other fine affiliates. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, joining you for one more hour of jam-packed, action-packed, exciting radio here this afternoon, or evening, or morning, whenever you might be listening. Uh, Our shows are also always available for your downloading pleasure, by the way, at the uh, Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, and, of course, on iTunes. Uh, Okay, welcome to a big show, Broken Political Machines, and maybe fixing some of them. The emphasis is on maybe. Uh, a new appellate, uh, a new appellate court verdict today, uh, finding the NSA's mass spying program to be illegal. We'll be talking about that momentarily. Another corruption indictment in New York State. This is amazing. This one for a powerful Republican in the uh, in the New York Senate, and maybe some new troubles for Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo. Hillary continues her move to the left, or so she says, as Bernie Sanders tries to close what our own Ernest A. Canning describes as the democracy deficit between the interests of the voters and the policies enacted by the lawmakers. Ernie Canning is going to be joining us a little bit later in the show. He is our legal analyst from bradblog.com. Also, Perry Dorrell will be joining us from Houston, Texas, with an update on the criminal felony charges pending against Texas Republican governor or former governor and potential 2016 presidential candidate Rick Perry. Uh, Perry doesn't seem too worried about these about these charges. And Perry Dorrell at uh, at Brad blog writes this week that that may be because he has an ace in the hole or on the bench itself. We'll be talking with Perry from Houston uh, shortly. Also, uh, Desi Doyen will be joining us with uh, our latest Green News report. There's a lot going on, in, a lot going on in the green world this week, from oil trains exploding in North Dakota to new regulations for those oil bomb trains to a terrible new carbon dioxide uh, record globally and a uh, sweeping political change, a good one in Alberta, Canada, and speaking of sweeping changes, uh, Elon Musk and his new battery 
his new home battery with uh, with Tesla. We'll be talking a little bit about that as well. That's a big change. But first, let's get right to this this court ruling today, a sweeping appeals court ruling against U.S. government surveillance powers on Thursday could recast Congress's fight over expiring provisions of the Patriot Act, writes The Hill. On Thursday, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the NSA's bulk collection of Americans' phone records exceeds the scope of what Congress had authorized and, as such, is illegal. The decision was a major victory for critics of the NSA and offers the firmest legal blow yet to the spy agency. The provisions of the Patriot Act that the government has used now for years to justify the program known as Section 215 is scheduled to expire at the end of May. What happens then? Who knows? But next week, the House, you know, if if uh, if it's not renewed or changed in some way, next week, the U.S. House is scheduled to vote on legislation that would extend that provision, but also ending the uh, NSA's bulk phone records collection. Instead, the bill would force the agency to get a court order. Imagine that to get a court order and search private companies records records using a specific selection term rather than just this bulk dragnet of everybody's records. House lawmakers are expected to easily pass the legislation. You've got Republicans and Democrats in the House coming together on that one. That bill is called the USA Freedom Act, and it would rethink that that dragnet collection of American phone records. And I should say, by the way, none of this, none of this controversy, none of these questions applies to records collected overseas, to foreign records. Uh, uh, apparently, we're allowed to do that all that we want, uh, according to uh, according to our Constitution, as long as it's not Americans. Uh, the path forward in the Senate is much less certain, writes The Hill. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has pushed for a clean reauthorization of the current law through 2020. Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader of the uh, Senate, he's just, it's good as is. Let's leave it as is. Never mind that a court found it illegal. Never mind that it uh, spies on millions of Americans who have done nothing wrong, that it violates the Constitution. Let's just reauthorize it. So uh, it's questionable what will be able to get through the Senate. Uh, But perhaps today's court ruling has has changed the math there a little bit. Senators Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont, and Mike Lee, Republican, very conservative Republican, I should say right-wing Republican from Utah, both agree they put out a joint statement that the dragnet collection of Americans' phone records is unnecessary, ineffective, and now a federal appellate court has found that the program is illegal. Congress should not reauthorize a bulk collection program that the court has found to violate the law. We will not consent to any extension of this program, says the Democrat Leahy and the Republican Lee. In addition to ending the current bulk phone records collection program and adding new transparency measures, the pending USA Freedom Act would also add a new expert panel. This is what's amazing. One of many points that's amazing here. A new expert panel to the secretive foreign intelligence surveillance court, which oversees government spying, yet currently only hears arguments from the government requesting approval. So when the government wants to take specific actions to spy on Americans in some fashion. 
We now have the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, and uh, they've made uh, thousands of rulings over the years, almost always in favor of the government's position. The government comes forward and says, hey, we need to spy on this guy. We need to get his records. We need to tap his phone. We need to break into his computer and look at his emails. Uh, and that court, yeah, there's a court who looks at the facts in theory, but they almost always say yes. Why? Because only the government who is there to argue in favor of this intrusion into, uh, you know, various people's rights, only the government is there to argue in favor of, uh, of doing this. There is no one arguing against them. There is no adversarial party saying, uh, yeah, OK, well, this uh, may be a bad guy, but uh, his con you can't violate his constitutional rights, X, Y, Z. There is no one in that courtroom making that case. It's a one-sided court. It is a kangaroo court. It is almost the definition of a kangaroo court. One side arguing the case, and, oh, yes, by the way, everything done in that court is in complete and utter secret. And it was some decisions from that court, uh, which is uh, what Edward Snowden originally uh, released, uh, in, in some of his whistleblower documents that finally got out. We finally got to see just how bad uh, how bad it is in that FISA court. So uh, we will see through the end of the month as uh, lawmakers consent, con, uh, consider this law whether they finally change it to make it more transparent uh, and more constitutional and, oh yeah, more legal. Speaking of legal in New York this week, uh, the 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 indictments continue. I mean, there has been a spate of federal indictments in New York State against a whole bunch of Democrats, including the Democratic leader of the uh, of the House out there. Well, now it's the Republicans' turn. Dean G. Skelos, Skelos, I think is how you say his name, the leader of the New York State Senate, and his son were arrested this week by federal authorities on extortion, fraud, bribe. And, uh, and bribe solicitation charges as this federal corruption investigation expands. Senator Skelos, 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 I don't know, a Republican from Long Island, he was accused of taking official actions to benefit a small Arizona environmental company, AB Tech, and a large New York developer, Glenwood Management, that had financial ties to AB Tech or Abtech, perhaps. The senator agreed to do so, according to the complaint, as long as the companies paid his son. The arrest came just months after federal bribery and kickback charges led Assemblyman Sheldon Silver, a Democrat, to step down from his position. It's unclear whether the Senate leader, the Republican, will, uh, will step down from his post, even though he has been indicted. He says he's innocent of all the charges. Uh, his arrest also raises the inevitable question of who federal prosecutors might target next. This is after this long investigation continues by Preet Bharara, the U.S. attorney in New York uh, Southern District, uh, who is overseeing the cases against both Mr. Silver and Mr. Skelos. He's been waging a public campaign against corruption in Albany in 2014, when the Democratic governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo, abruptly shut down a commission that he had established to root out wrongdoing and bring reform to uh, the state capitol, Mr. Barrara started an investigation into the decision to shut down that panel and publicly ask whether the governor had bargained away corruption investigations as part of a deal with lawmakers. Well, now we have today, 
from uh, International Business Times, Matthew Cunningham Cook and David Sirota uh, with a piece uh, that charges that Andrew Cuomo, the Democrat, has since 2012 taken in more than $131,000 in campaign contributions from three major financial firms that were then tapped by the administration to manage state bond work. The Democratic governor accepted the money and his officials handed out the government business without competitive bids, despite federal rules that bar campaign contributions from receiving uh, campaign contributors rather from receiving taxpayer financed state bond work. So uh, Democratic governor Andrew Cuomo could be coming into the eyes of the uh, prosecutors and uh, (laughs) so uh, corruption from New York. Uh, corruption in the halls of Congress. And from that, yes, and of course, that brings us to Texas and our old friend Rick Perry, now under indictment for two felonies. The eyes of Texas are upon you all the live long day. The eyes of Texas are upon you. You cannot get Yes, it seems like Governor Perry's uh, indictment is so special that he deserves his own theme song. We're going to talk about those indictments and Rick Perry's ace in the hole uh, momentarily here with the proprietor of the Brains and Eggs blog at brainsandeggs.blogspot.com, our own political cartoon curator at bradblog.com, Perry Dorrell, otherwise known as P. Diddy. And by the way, you can see his selections of the best political cartoons of the week on Sundays at Brad Blog. He's also a native Texan who's been keeping us up to date on the trials and tribulations, quite literally, the felony trial on two criminal counts of former Texas governor and presumptive 2016 presidential candidate Rick Perry and the long-serving governor's ace in the hole, or in this case, Ace on the Bench, as Perry wrote about at bradblog.com this week. So it's Perry on Perry. Welcome to the Bradcast, Perry Dorrell. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Uh, great. Thank you for being had, my friend. Uh, okay, uh, for, for those who don't know much, because uh, the media has not been covering, really, these, uh, these indictments, <clears throat> if you can explain very quickly, what are the two felony uh, uh, counts that are now pending against long-serving Governor Rick Perry? Abuse of power, abuse of his office, and coercion of a public official, Brad, specifically the Travis County, that's in Austin, or surrounds Austin, Mm -hmm. uh, DA, District Attorney, Rosemary Lemberg, who was arrested for driving under the influence. And by the way, there's a very embarrassing video of her online as she was belligerent to the officers who arrested her. Right. Which resulted in... Um, the um, rather public um, demonstration by the governor uh, that he would veto the funding for what is called a public integrity unit within the Travis County DA's office. And uh, over the years, that has investigated every manner of wrongdoing by uh, mostly um, Texas Republican officials, Mm -hmm. including all the way back to Tom DeLay, when Bonnie Earl, a name your listeners may be familiar with, uh, brought those charges for money money laundering against Tom DeLay almost 10 years ago. That was part of the Travis County's 
Integrity Unit. Perry, was that, um, uh, so it was actually Rosemary Lemberg who brought those charges against uh, Tom DeLay way back when? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. Um, she, she recused, but refused to resign. The coercion uh, indictment comes from Rick Perry um, uh, calling for her resignation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the abuse of office comes from his veto of um, uh, public funding for the Public Integrity Unit. And he vetoed that funding. I want to uh, just clarify because your phone is uh, breaking up a little bit. If you can try to stick in in one place, uh, that may help, uh, Perry. Uh, the... Uh, the funding that Rick Perry uh, uh, cut off against this office was basically him saying, hey, if she doesn't resign, this entire office is getting no money, uh, which which investigates public corruption. And uh, he, he was true to his promise and, and cut off the funding for her office, which otherwise looks into public corruption. That's exactly correct. And I apologize for the connection we're having. Oh, that's OK. Uh, uh, Rosemary Lemberg, the yeah. DA in question, um, recused herself, uh, and uh, several judges county also recused themselves until one, a gentleman who was elected to the the highest criminal appeals court in Texas, his name is Burt Richardson, mm-hmm. appointed a special prosecutor named Mike McCrum, and um uh, so um, the case proceeds. He's the one who brought the charges um, uh, to the grand jury uh, in Travis County, and, and they subsequently indicted Governor Perry. And the theory is that he was using his political office uh, to to strong arm her to say, "If you don't get out, if you don't resign, I'm not going to give you any money." Now, in the past, there have been other uh, uh, prosecutors in the state of Texas. <clears throat> who have uh, been charged on on drunk driving, as I understand, and Rick Perry did not call on them to resign. He did not threaten them with uh, uh, cutting off their funding. Am I correct? Absolutely correct. There were at least four Republican county district attorneys mm-hmm. uh, who were arrested on charges of driving under the influence who were not threatened with their jobs and didn't have funds cut from their department. And, by the way... Um, Abuse of office and coercion of a public official um, against a sitting governor uh, uh, has a long history in Texas. Uh, you can go back a hundred years to uh, Pa Ferguson, uh, who did the very <laughs> same thing uh, to some University of Texas regents, uh, which uh, he did not like. Uh, and, and, and was he found? Uh, was he found guilty of those charges? He, he was, and before he impeached uh, in Nixonian style, he resigned from office, uh, and they called a special election, and the person that was elected governor to follow him was his wife, known as Ma Ferguson. Okay, and uh, Rick Perry did no such thing. He's he's willing to fight these charges. He says he is innocent. He was only doing his his job, that he is uh, allowed to do this lawfully in Texas. And now I want to get in a, in a moment here very quickly to... Uh, the latest update in this case and his ace in the hole. But before we do, very quickly, there, there has not been much national coverage of this case, which is is somewhat shocking, frankly. Uh, you know, compare it to Chris Christie's Bridgegate scandal, uh, where Christie has not even been indicted. You've got Rick Perry, who actually has been indicted, and uh, and is running for the Republican nominee or is, is expected to run for the Republican nomination for president. So is this something that is at least being discussed in Texas or is it under the radar down there as well, uh, Perry Dorrell? It's 
um, uh, very much on the radar uh, here in Texas. Um, the um, corporate media, if I may, uh, oh, has, you may. Has, not stayed, Go ahead. has not stayed on the case. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Um, the the, um, the uh, state newspapers haven't done a very good job of keeping uh, up to date on the case, but the Texas Tribune, which is an online e-zine and does follow uh, much of the antics of the Texas legislature, which is in session now, has done a very good job. And I did uh, quote them uh, in uh, the piece that I wrote for your blog. The latest report there, Brad, mm-hmm. is that Justice Bob Pemberton, um, Perry's ace in the hall on the bench, is um, uh, hasn't decided yet whether he's going to recuse himself. Well, let's talk. Hearing- let's talk about this, Justice Pop, Bob Pen- Pemberton. He's sitting on the case that is currently, at least, that is overseeing uh, this case. He was appointed by Perry himself to the third. Yeah. Yes, he wasn't just appointed by Rick Perry to the Third Court of Appeals. He was serving as Rick Perry's deputy general counsel before he was appointed (laughs) to the Third Court of Appeals. Not only that, he was sworn in by former Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Court, Tom Phillips, who currently serves on Rick Perry's legal defense team. Now, (laughs) if you want to get even weirder than that... Well, I, 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 actually, I do want to get weirder than that, but let me just let me just underscore that for a second. So you've got yeah. a, a justice, a state justice overseeing who, who's working on this case, has not recused himself, who will help decide the guilt or innocence, I, I guess, of, of Rick Perry and whether this case moves forward. He was appointed by Rick Perry himself, and he worked with the guy who is now uh, heading up the legal team for Rick Perry himself. Do I understand all of that corrupt math correctly? You've got it correct. And, uh, you know, as a cherry on top, Pemberton has been a political supporter of Rick, of Rick Perry. He, he, he contributed $1,000 to Perry's 2002 re-election campaign, according to the state's uh, record. Uh, under, so, under what grounds uh, would he not recuse himself in this case uh, i gotta tell you uh, perry when you when you uh explain that story just now our own desi doyan here a producer who's from texas she had not yet read your piece on this and her mouth just fell open when when you talked about the conflicts of interest here so uh, what would be his reasoning for not recusing himself from this case overseeing uh, uh, rick perry's guilt or innocence <laughs> He's not saying, the Third Court of Appeals is not saying, there's only a few legal experts um, that, that are quoted to uh, the Texas Tribune who um, are, are similarly fairly aghast at why this person would not recuse himself from the case. And um, to be clear, um, Brad, I'm not a lawyer. I didn't even stay at a discount national chain hotel last night, <laughs> but but I have followed Texas politics for a very long time, most of my adult life, mm-hmm. uh, blogged about it for 12 years, and, um, you know, there's just some things that don't surprise me anymore, and this one, quite frankly, does just as much as it does you and Desi. 
So, yeah, this is an amazing story. I hope you'll uh, uh, keep us up to date at uh, Brad Blog and here on the Bradcast, as well, of course, over on your own blog, brainsandeggs.blogspot.com, uh, Perry Dorrell. Uh, this is an amazing story, and uh, I, I, I can't understand why this guy wouldn't uh, recuse himself, this, this justice wouldn't recuse himself. But you know what? It's it's Texas. It's Texas where Tom Delay uh, got off, you know was let off the hook, and um, you know maybe Rick Perry just has that many friends, and he's got a lot of friends apparently in the media, because both Texas media and national media don't seem to give a damn about this case, which is really amazing to me. I've got just a minute or two left here, uh, Perry, but. Um, uh, are 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 you safe down there with this Jade Helm 15 coming your way, this federal government takeover of, of the state of Texas that I've heard so much about in the right-wing media? Are you safe? Do you have survival seeds? Have you bought plenty of gold, gold and ammo uh, to get through what is what is coming to Texas? I haven't even bought any tinfoil. I don't even have a cap on. <laughs> I got so disgusted with that story when it broke last week that I only wrote about it once and then moved on. Of course, it's all that anybody wants to talk about this week, and that includes the cartoonists. Brad, I should have some pretty priceless tunes for Sunday at bradblog.com. Well, we will all look forward to that as well. I will look forward to bailing you out from the uh, from the abandoned Walmart prisons where you will be the first one uh, clearly <laughs> in chains down there. Uh, Perry Dorrell, uh, my friend, thank you for joining us. Uh, the proprietor of brainsandeggs.blogspot.com, the cartoon curator and Texas correspondent for bradblog.com. Great talking to you, my friend. Let's do it again soon. My pleasure, Brad. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, let's take a quick break. We are running late, and we will come back with Ernest A. Canning, legal analyst at Brad Blog on uh, Bernie Sanders and the democracy deficit. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. And uh, changes are ahead. Changes in Alberta, Canada. Changes here in the U.S. What that change will be remains to be seen. We'll be talking about all of that momentarily with uh, Ernie Canning. Uh, I want to reiterate, though, that the uh, U.S. Second, uh, Second Court of Appeal has handed down a decision today in which it ruled that the NSA's bulk collection of phone data exceeds the intentions of Congress in their Section 215 of the U.S. Patriot Act and is therefore illegal. Talked a little bit about that in the last segment. Uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, who uh, broke a a lot of the stories concerning uh, Edward Snowden and the documents that showed exactly how The NSA was breaking that law. Um, He tweets, uh, James Clapper, the director of national intelligence, lied and denied the existence of a program which a U.S. appeals court said was illegal. Anyone arguing he should keep his job? 
Of course, we've known that he lied about that program, lied to Congress blatantly about whether that program even existed. And he still has his job. Glenn Greenwald then tweets, adding, if lying in order to conceal an illegal domestic spying program doesn't get you fired by the Obama administration, what does? Well, I would suggest what gets you fired by the Obama administration is when Fox News or Glenn Beck or Andrew Breitbart or James O'Keefe or any of these people on the right make stuff up about you that is completely untrue, but sounds plausible and then Obama will throw you under the bus like he did with Van Jones, Shirley Sherrod, a uh, bunch of people over at the IRS. Anytime they make stuff up on Fox News, well, not anytime, but uh, many times over the years, make stuff up that is a complete and utter lie about someone in the administration. The administration then fires that person. But here you've got the director of national intelligence who not only lied, but lied to Congress, which I believe is illegal. And nobody's even disputing the fact that he lied. Even he admits he lied. And uh, and yet he gets to keep his job. Go figure. All right. Well, more on that, I suspect, ahead. Uh, in the meantime, we've, we had nothing short, frankly, of a small-D Democratic revolution this week in Alberta, Canada. Uh, we'll be talking about that in the Green News Report uh, a little bit and the effect that that may have on the Alberta tar sands and the Keystone XL pipeline. But uh, the new Democratic Party, the NDP, completely swept provincial elections to end decades of conservative rule in that province in Canada, perhaps the most conservative province in the entire nation. Uh, the NDP ran on a platform of social change, increased uh, investment in schools, hospitals, increased taxation on corporations and the wealthy, and they won. They won big time in what is considered to be the red uh, Texas of Canada. So could something like that happen here in the good old U.S. of A.? Brad Blog, legal analyst, political scientist, and essayist Ernest A. Canning thinks it might be possible. He wrote about that very thing last week in his piece at bradblog.com entitled Bernie Sanders versus the Democracy Deficit which looks at, among other things, the gap between the interests of the voters and the policies that are actually legislated by lawmakers. Joining us again on the broadcast to discuss all of this is Ernie Canning. Welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Hello, Brad. Great to have you back, my friend. Okay, Bernie Sanders versus the democracy deficit. You've written about the democracy deficit uh, for many years. Uh, what is the democracy deficit for those people who don't understand it? Well, essentially, the, the term was uh, coined by uh, Noam Chomsky, and what he means by that is the extent to the gap between what um, uh, the policies that are actually favored by the electorate and what policies actually are adopted by the uh, the elites, and uh, he attributes that to the manner in which uh, elections are skillfully managed to avoid issues and marginalize the underlying population uh, so that the elected leadership can serve what he calls the substantial people. Well, you, you wrote about that uh, specifically in 2009, and you cited the 2008 election cycle when the corporate media deployed a variety of tactics to marginalize, at the time, Dennis Kucinich, who was the only Democrat calling for openly calling for a single-payer healthcare system, which, as you noted at the time, was wildly 
popular, according to polls, according to Time Magazine poll, I think it was at the time. Uh, and yet the corporate media focused only on Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, neither of whom were talking about a single payer system at all. Uh, is is and of course, as we all know, it was not a single payer healthcare system that got passed. It was the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare. So, is that what you're talking about? The difference between what the people want and what the people actually get? Uh, it is, and in that particular instance, to show you how how uh, the media obscures um, and, and avoids the issues and has you talking about personalities. Uh, there was a poll conducted, a blind poll, in August of 2007 when 67,000 voters uh, uh, took part in a survey where all they had was the actual positions of the candidates, but they didn't tell them whose name was matched to what. Uh, yes. Obama got 3%. Uh, Hillary Clinton got 3.6%. Kucinich was the choice of 53%. Yes, those his positions were the popular ones, and yet he was always treated as an also ran. So, how do you explain that difference and the way that the the media treats someone like a Dennis Kucinich back then, or even as you point out in your article, a a Bernie Sanders now? Where you know the the very day he he jumped in, I think it was Washington Post, Chris Saliza, who is sort of a let's be nice and call him a centrist. Um, he wrote an article headlined, Bernie Sanders isn't going to be president. That's not the point. And that was on the day that Bernie Sanders first announced he was going to be running. That's correct. And what's interesting is that um, this is typical of the media to marginalize the candidate. Don't pay attention to him. And uh, uh, what you look at when you look at the numbers uh, both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are, are in the same boat. And you look at, for example, uh, there was a poll conducted recently that said that 94% of Americans, not just Democrats, agreed with Warren's argument that our political system is rigged in favor of the rich and powerful. Nine in every 10, uh, which is 94% of de Democrats, it, it agree that interest rates are too high in student loans. 80% want us to expand Social Security. Uh, 72% agree with raising the minimum wage, and 82% support uh, Sanders' proposal for massive investments in infrastructure. If you have a campaign that is actually run and discussed on issues, um, there, it, the results could be very different. And the critical factor here is to realize that, yeah, uh, the Republicans did real well in the last campaign, but about 64% of the people didn't vote at all. Why are they not voting? Well, there's a question about why they are not voting, and we'll get into that in a minute. But even of those people who did vote, the Republicans were very careful in that last election to not run on anything. They ran on the fact that they were Republicans and uh, that they were not Barack Obama. They didn't actually talk about their policies, and it seems like the media... Uh, don't force them to talk about their policies. And well, that's because the yeah. media is part, along with with actually both parties, uh, the leadership of the Democratic Party and the Republicans are part of what's called an elite consensus, or what what again that's Chomsky. But but basically, when when the interests of the uh, of the the top one percent are actually at issue, there's very little difference between them, so they avoid discussing the issues. Mm. Uh, the issues that that Sanders and Warren and the other true progressives are pushing are issues that would challenge uh, 
basically this whole situation where uh, uh, we have a growing uh, disparity in wealth to the point that it's dangerously uh, a dangerous disparity. Uh, well, it, it, it is a dangerous disparity, and I, I still am not entirely clear. Well, actually, I, I want to get to this, this clip. You, you cited a quote from the Michael Moore movie Sicko in which a former British uh, MP, member of Parliament, uh, Tony Benn, talked about some of these ideas. But before I get to that, what, how do you explain what is uh, the media's interest in not discussing these issues? I understand why Democrats and Republicans may not want to uh, actually reveal what their uh, what their real positions are. What you know, the the, the candidates themselves. But but why the media? Why aren't the media calling them out and, and forcing them to explain uh, themselves? Well, first off, you, you have to keep in mind that most of the media, in fact, 97 percent of what we see and hear over the airways is uh, is controlled by corporate media. And those corporations have a vested interest in not discussing these issues, in part because uh, particularly thanks to Citizens United, they have a free flow of money going into uh, their corporate coffers by people uh, buying these 30-second propaganda slots that we call uh, political advertising. So if you actually inform the electorate and had them uh, uh, and had them aware of what was taking place, you would put the corporate interests of the media as well as other corporations at uh, their bottom line at risk. And that is the democratic revolution. Again, the small d democratic revolution that you wrote about that you suggested uh, Bernie Sanders could in fact lead if the populace uh, stood up and actually took the time to vote uh, for in their own self-interest uh, or even vote at all in this case. Uh, Tony Benn, as I mentioned, a former member of uh, parliament in Great Britain, uh, talked about some of these ideas in the uh, in the Michael Moore documentary Sicko, and I, I, I think it's instructive uh, to play some of this because you've got sort of a an electorate at this point who is I think despairing, and it, it could explain one of the reasons in 20, uh, 2014 why people didn't show up and vote, and when people don't show up and vote, you know I I defend your right to not vote, uh, but. Keep in mind, when you don't vote, the bad guys don't need to steal your vote. Uh, and, you know, you end up having no real say in the process. So uh, Tony Benn was asked about this and asked about democracy and voting by Michael Moore in the uh, in the documentary Sicko. Here's a clip. I think democracy is the most revolutionary thing in the world, far more revolutionary than socialist ideas or anybody else's idea, because if you have power, you use it to meet the needs of you and your community. And this idea of choice, which uh, Capital talks about all the time, you've got to have a choice. Choice depends on the freedom to choose. And if you're shackled with debt, you don't have a freedom to choose. It seems like it benefits the system if the average working person is shackled yes, with and debt. People in debt become hopeless, and hopeless people don't vote. So they will say should everyone should vote. But I think if the poor in Britain or the United States, turned out and voted for people who represented their interests, it would be a, a real democratic revolution. And so they don't want it to happen. So keeping people hopeless and pessimistic. See, I think there are two ways in which people are controlled. First of all, frighten people. And secondly, demoralize them. An educated, healthy and confident nation is harder to govern. 
And I think there's an element in the thinking of some people. We don't want people to be educated, healthy and confident because they would get out of control. <laughs> the top 1% of the world's population own 80% of the world's wealth. It's incredible that people put up with it, but they're poor, they're demoralised, they're frightened and therefore they think perhaps the safest thing to do is take orders and hope for the best. It's incredible that people put up with it, Ernie Canning. Uh, they're poor, demoralized, and frightened. Does that explain why people don't bother to vote in this country, uh, except for in presidential elections, and even not even not then all that much? I, I think you know, part of it, in fact, uh, I, I know it's not a clip that, that I, I, I've referenced to you, but uh, part of it... Uh, 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 Bernie Sanders, in, a, in another appearance he made, uh, kind of addresses, which is that if you're only given a choice to, uh, between um, two forms of elites, um, you know, the kind of the, I, I would say that the, the Clinton, Obama, and I'm, when I'm saying Clinton, I mean both Clintons and Obama, mm -hmm. and, and the leadership of the, the corporate leadership of the Democratic Party is kind of a kinder, gentler form of uh, capitalist exploitation versus the Republicans, which are just terrific, uh, that you're thinking, why do I even get involved in, in voting for uh, a system that, that's corrupt? And when you have a Bernie Sanders there, you no longer have that because you do have you're presented with a real and meaningful choice. You know the one thing that struck me was that Ben. Now that was I think that that movie was produced in 2009, and Ben was talking about the top one percent owning 80 percent of the world's wealth. Well, in the time that Obama's been in office, which is uh, you know yeah. even though we're a lot better off in a lot of ways than when 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 Bush left. Since that time, 99% of all new income in the United States has been captured by the top 1%. And to give you an idea, back on March 10, 2010, uh, Forbes listed the net worth of Charles and David Koch as $17.5 billion each. Mm -hmm. Have any idea what it is today? Uh, I don't. I forgot already. It's $46.2 yeah. billion right. dollars each. That's more than a 240% increase in uh, in in their wealth, yeah. and when you, when I say that this inequality is dangerous, what I mean by that is, you don't have a problem when money is being used to buy goods and services, but when money is used to to buy political power, it ends up so that the destruction of economic democracy also destroys political democracy. And I will add one point, uh, since you mentioned the Koch brothers, uh, the unmitigated gall, frankly, that they have to to be complaining about the policies of this president, uh, given uh, how they have doubled their wealth in the time that he has been office. And yet in office, yet they're complaining about, uh, oh, he's killing the economy, this and that. What a bunch of hooey. Uh, very quickly, let me play, uh, Ernie, uh, we've got just a minute left here. Let me play this clip from Bernie Sanders. Uh, talking about the need for a political revolution in America. When we talk about a political revolution in America, which is what I believe we need, right. it means to raise public consciousness, to have elections not in which 36% of the people vote, but where 80 or 90% of the people right. vote. Imagine that, 80 or 90% of uh, the people voting. Ernie, uh, I want to get one thought from you before I go. Uh, Hillary Clinton has been, uh, i got to say, saying all of the right things, at least in her public policy uh, uh, you know, speeches. She talked about uh, immigration this week. She sort of moved to the left of Obama on that. She's been talking about 
uh, populist economic uh, ideas that have been brought up by uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, A, do you buy it? And B, do you think Bernie Sanders can overcome that democracy deficit that you uh, wrote so eloquently about at Brad Blog last week? Okay, with regard to A, uh, my father used to tell me when I was quite young, uh, watch what people do, not what they say. And uh, Hillary Clinton is a part of the elite consensus. The most important thing, she can talk all she wants about progressive uh, values, but when she, as Secretary of State, described this horrific uh, uh, TPP uh, uh, trade agreement that they're trying to ram on the fast track as being the model for, uh, for uh, trade agreements, uh, that says volumes because that agreement, if it passes, will essentially destroy democracy as we know it. Uh, and I don't think people are realizing how close we are to the cliff on that because uh, the only thing that's preventing it from the fast track from passing right now happens to be the Democratic caucus and the Senate and their ability to block that. Uh-oh. Uh, so <laughs> that, that is a very serious issue that, that we are facing. And can uh, Sanders overcome the democracy deficit this time? He can, but only if it isn't Sanders. Sanders can lead. He can be the lightning rod. But the bottom line is that all the people we were working with in the, in the Occupy movement uh, have got to occupy politics. And if they don't step forward and start going around the, the corporate media uh, uh, way that they block this and use every means available to communicate to their friends, their neighbors, uh, on Facebook and all the social networks, of what really is taking place here in this election, it's not going to happen. It has to be a true bottoms-up democratic revolution to work. A true bottoms-up democratic revolution. Read about it in Bernie Sanders versus the Democracy Deficit, as written by Ernest A. Canning over at uh, bradblog.com. He's our legal analyst, and I had hoped... I know you're working on a book, Ernie. Uh, I'd hoped to tease that a little bit, but I guess we're going to have to talk about that uh, the next time, unless you want to very quickly tell me the topic of the book. Well, the title of the book is Empire's Elixir. I can't tell you too much more than that. It deals with the war on drugs, and it's with my editor right now. (laughs) There you go. All right, we will talk about it more in the future, no doubt. Ernest Canning, always great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for joining us today on the Bradcast. Thank you, Brad. You bet. All right, a quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Stay tuned. That can only mean one thing. It's time for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report as we melt out here in California and as we melt all around the world. An incredibly busy Green News Week uh, this I week, know. Desi Doyen. Uh, I know. And we're like so out of time. So we have to talk about some of this stuff tomorrow. But first, before we get to anything else, I just want to talk about the severe weather that happened in Oklahoma uh, yesterday. There were a huge line of tornadoes, 51 tornadoes across four states uh, yesterday. And they were severe, of course, but the worst was in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, uh, by far, where for the first time ever, the National Weather Service issued a flash flood emergency for Oklahoma City. That's the first time they've ever had a flash flood emergency. They've never had downpours like this before. And a woman, am I right, died, drowned 
in yes. her uh, tornado shelter? Yes, there was so much rain. At one point, they they, they got, um, I forget how much, three inches of rain fell in a single hour, and that popped people's tornado shelters out of the ground. They erupted out of the ground, and so she unfortunately, sadly, drowned in her tornado shelter. Uh, that's that's just one of those things that, that climate scientists have warned. We will see increased deluges, you know, intense rainfall because there's more moisture in the air due to global warming. So expect to see more of this, unfortunately. And uh, th- then that gives you an idea of what a busy uh, Green News Week it was because that's a pretty huge story, uh, that, that spate of tornadoes in o- Oklahoma. And we couldn't even fit it into our six-minute Green News report. So I'm glad we got to, glad we got to cover it here. And now, our latest Green News report. I think we might have made a little bit of history tonight. A huge political clean sweep for Alberta, Canada, home of the dirty tar sands. New rules for oil trains, now with less transparency. Another disturbing milestone in global greenhouse gas emissions. Plus... This, this is possible. Um, that, that's, that's the future we, we need to have. Elon Musk revolutionizes the battery industry again. All of those revolutions and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. How do you change your own water use? Turning off that faucet a little quicker, getting out of the shower a little faster. And not flushing the toilet every time. Well, I guess they don't call him Governor Brown for nothing. Oh. This is your <laughs> Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'd like to take the opportunity to apologize for that snarky comment before the, uh, <laughs> before the music there. What do you got for us today that isn't about Governor Brown and his flushing habits? <laughs> well, first, a disturbing new milestone. Average global carbon dioxide levels have passed 400 parts per million in the atmosphere and stayed there for a whole month for the first time in recorded history. CO2 levels do fluctuate over the seasons, but this is the first time it stayed above the 400 benchmark for a whole month globally. And NOAA scientists say half of that rise in carbon emissions has occurred since 1980. And the levels have not been this high since, oh, three or four million years ago. Yeah, it's kind of stunning. Kind of disturbing. And the only way to stop it is to stop emissions of carbon dioxide. That's right. And if we don't, the atmosphere gets hotter and hotter and hotter. You've got it. I wish I had a solution. Another day, another oil train explosion, this time in tiny Heimdall, North Dakota, where the entire town was evacuated Wednesday morning after an oil train carrying U.S. Bakken shale derailed and caught fire two miles outside of town. The fact that the blaze erupted despite new state rules requiring oil companies to siphon off volatile flammable gases before loading them into tank cars has led to some questions about whether those new state rules are sufficient. Well, apparently not, because this stuff, this Bakken shale oil, is highly flammable. And we're just going to see more and more of this unless something changes. What will change? Well, there's a little bit of change. This latest incident occurs less than a week after the Obama administration issued new, stronger safety standards for oil trains. The new rules require the industry to use newly designed, tougher tank cars, new braking systems, and reduced speed limits, among a lot of other provisions. However, the rules don't come into effect for another five years, and the railroad industry lobbied for and received a repeal of regulations 
regulations requiring them to inform local governments when the trains are going through their towns. And so the oil companies, in the meantime, I'm just guessing, they're probably contesting all of this. Basically, they're saying, no, 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 you should do more railroad inspections. Somebody's getting railroaded here, but I don't think it's the oil companies. In the home of the tar sands in Alberta, Canada... The liberal New Democratic Party swept provincial elections on Wednesday as voters dumped the province's ruling conservative party after 44 years in power. In her acceptance speech, the leader of the New Democratic Party, Rachel Notley, called it a new day. Friends, I believe that change has finally come to Alberta. New people. New ideas and a fresh start for our great province. Notley's NDP pledged to raise corporate taxes and reform oil royalties while the losing Conservative Party had gambled the budget on increasing oil revenues amid a global oil price slump. This is a huge shift. This is the home of the tar sands where you've had this uh, conservative government who has, you know, trying to wring every dollar they can out of this dirty crap in the ground, frankly. And a real progressive party is now in power. Maybe we won't need that Keystone XL pipeline after all. Finally, Tesla CEO Elon Musk has rolled out a new revolutionary home-based energy storage system. The Powerwall Home Battery is the size of a big screen TV. It stores energy from your rooftop solar panels, and it starts at just 3500 bucks. Just 3500 bucks. That's about the price of a new large screen TV. Yeah, but I can watch a TV. What am I going to do with the battery? Well, Musk says solar plus storage is the obvious solution to fight global warming. We have this... This handy fusion reactor in the sky called the sun. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. It just works. <laughs> Shows up every day and produces ridiculous amounts of power. And all of that power, if you can figure out how to harness it, is free. It also doesn't poison the groundwater and it also doesn't explode when you transport it on trains. Thank you, Elon. Tesla reports in less than a week, it has already received 38,000 orders. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Power to the people. You know, I don't know why I'm so nice to Elon Musk. We have been doing the Green <laughs> News Report for uh, about uh, over six years now. I think next week, by the way, is our 600th episode of wow. the Green News Report. And I've said nothing but nice things about Elon Musk and Tesla, and he has not yet once given us a free Tesla vehicle to, to use. That's just so rude. I agree. I, I just, agree. But I do want to say... The launch video that he put out, we have that linked to uh, to Green News Report, uh, greennews.bradblog.com. It is an inspirational video. Only 18 minutes of your time. You will be inspired. Yeah, well, I'm not inspired. Not until I get a free Tesla. That's all I'm saying. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. And my thanks, of course, as always, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to my guests guests today, Perry Dorell of brainsandeggs.blogspot.com and our 
uh, Sunday Tunes uh, curator at bradblog.com, and as well to Ernie Canning, legal analyst. Uh, we'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me on the Facebook and the Twitters at the Brad Blog, and of course at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Yeah.